All right. Let's turn back to Exodus chapter number 20. This morning we will continue our series in the Ten Commandments. Um, we've laid some necessary groundwork. We've uh, made it through the first two commandments. We've had you know various sermons from Galatians and from Exodus. We did a brief overview of the whole. Now we're kind of going through each one and trying to dig in and really see what's being said and really get to the heart of this text and what the Lord is telling us in the law. Uh, it is my prayer that as we've considered the law that you, your heart has been humbled and convicted your own sinfulness, your own ability to even keep only even one law, let alone all ten, and, and that if you're saved this awareness is just causing you to go into a deeper dependence upon God, a deeper dependence upon the strength of God, the working of God in you, to look away from yourself and thinking, okay, I'm going to pull myself up from my bootstraps, I'm going to get this, I'm going to dig in, and I've got this thing, but that's, that's not what we want. What I'm hoping by the reading of this that we just see how enabled we are to even follow the first law and that we would wholly depend upon Christ or righteousness that we're not going to find a, a, a satisfaction before God by our doing, but we are found accepted before God by His doing. And now, as a Christian, we still this, this law is still important to our lives, but positionally it's a little bit different now. Whereas when we were lost, when we were aliens from God, when we were lost and dead in our sins, this law stood to condemn us. There's no saving in this law. There's only condemnation where it's making us aware of our sinfulness. I I look at the law and I see that thou shalt have no other gods before me and my heart is broken because I know there's times that God is not first in my life and I serve other things. He says not to commit idolatry. And I have to agree with John Calvin that my heart is an idol factory pumping out idols. And I have to see that I'm condemned. And then I see that as we get into the third one, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Even further, I see my condemnation. I could go on to not breaking the Sabbath or honoring parents or not murdering, adultery, stealing, lying, covetousness, You know, the whole law. We can look at all these and I see my need of Christ. You remember this great high priest we spoke of this morning. When I read this now as a Christian, this doesn't condemn me. It pulls me to Christ and it causes me to rely upon Him. I'm not under the law as a bondage and as a covenant of works, but it is my objective truth. It is objective truth. How how does a Christian live to the glory and honor of God? By keeping His law. Do we do it perfectly? No. Thanks be to Christ, He did it perfectly. But we ought not use that as an excuse. We ought to try to serve God. How do we do that? By obeying this law. There are those that would like to unhitch from the Old Testament. They say, we don't need the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. We're, you know, we're in the day of grace. We don't need the law. Ignore those. Mark those people. Stay away from them. They're liars. They don't know the first thing about the holiness of God. And if you're here and you're lost, I pray that this would prick your heart and give you an acute awareness of your sinfulness and your inability and your vile state before God and that you might repent of your evil works and trust upon Christ. 
That is my prayer. Now, to briefly rather recap on what we've already considered, um, let's get us into context. Um, We talked that uh, God had brought His people up out of the land of Egypt. He brought them up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And we considered that He's the God that lives and He's the God that legislates. He's the God that liberates. And He he is God and who He is. We considered that we should have no other gods before Him. We considered this and how we're to only follow God. And how if the negative is enforced, the positive is implied. Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. Thou shalt have Me only as God. Thou shalt not make any graven images. Thou shalt worship Me in spirit and in truth. And so where the negative is stated, the positive is implied. We considered that God only not only does He not want us to make graven images, but He doesn't want us to bow down to them, to serve them, to give glory to them. And He reminds us that He's a jealous God. And that He visits the iniquity upon the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate Him. And we considered how dangerous the sin of idolatry is where someone, uh, a father, a head of home will, it will take this and go after idols and go after false gods. And He teaches that to His children. And we saw how devastating the impact of idolatry is from the father to the son to the grandson and the great-grandson and so on. And we saw how serious this is. But we also considered that He is full of mercy to those that love Him, keep His commandments. And now, how we worship matters to God. How we live matters. What we say matters. What we do matters. Although there's a growing movement that claims that this is unimportant, someone would say that, Jackson, you're a legalist. No. No. I'm just reading the text. We're, we're following what God says. We understand that God changes not and His His law is not to be done away with. Now, the ceremonial laws were fulfilled in Christ and we understand how certain things were fulfilled in Christ, but God does not change morally. And what He, what he commanded of His people 4,000 years ago, He commands of them today. As I said, we don't stand before the law as a covenant of works now whereby Adam, our head, has failed and now we're condemned under the wrath of God. At one point we were, but Christ has brought us into fellowship, back into fellowship with God through His death on the cross. And now this is our objective standard of how to live if we're saved. Thanks be to God. For Jesus who fulfilled the law and gained for His people righteousness which is granted them by grace through faith. By His life we have righteousness. By His death we have forgiveness. By His resurrection we have a blessed hope. And because of this grace, we ought to follow God. The grace of God that saves a sinner is the same grace of God that changes a sinner. Old things are passed away. Things, all things become new. God begins a work in the sinner's life and changes them and conforms them to the image of His darling Son. 
Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Does it matter how you live? Yes, it does. Does it matter as far as being saved? No, we're saved in spite of how we lived. We live now unto the glory of Him who has saved us and forgiven us. So here we find ourselves in this humbling and wonderful study through the law. And so let us now consider the very text of which I'm speaking. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. In this text, I want to notice two things chiefly. First, the prohibition stated. The prohibition stated. Secondly, the penalty warned. The prohibition stated, the penalty warned. As we consider these, may God help us. May God help me to rightly divide the word of truth. Firstly, the prohibition stated, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Uh, Though this is often overlooked, listen, I get it, I used to be there. And I understand that this is, sometimes there's a temptation to overlook this, and we say, well, as long as I don't add a four letter word onto the end of God's name, then I've not taken His name in vain, and I've checked off a list, I'm not guilty of this sin. I beg to differ. And for that reason, we're going to study through this in two subsections. First, the what of the prohibition. The what of this prohibition. And secondly, we'll look at the why. So, what is the prohibition? In other words, what is this commandment prohibiting? What is it to take God's name in vain? What is meant by His name? These are all valid questions. And I fear that all too often it's overlooked. As I'm not saying a curse word after God's name and everything's fine. Or I'm not saying, you know, just His name vainly. You know, everything's fine. But that's just, while that's true, that is taking the name of the Lord in vain. I, I offer to you this, and I, I seek to prove it through the Scriptures, that that's not the heart of this law. That's not it. That's not all of it. It's not all-inclusive there. Consider briefly how Jesus in His Sermon on the Mount said this, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in a danger of the judgment. So Christ said, if you're, uh, you say that if you kill someone, so they're looking at the technicality. If I kill someone, I've broken the law. He says if you hate your brother in your heart, you're a murderer at heart. Furthermore, he said of adultery, he said the same thing. That if you were to look at a woman or a man and to lust after them in your heart, you're an adulterer at heart. Did he change the law? No. He rightly applied. This is not just a list of technicalities that I'm trying to check off these boxes and if I can get all ten checked off, then I'm right with God. No, there's a heart of this. And and. When we get to the heart of it, it brings to light how wicked we actually are. It's not just technicalities. It's not just, as the Pharisees would say, that they've 
They've done an outward show, but inwardly are dead. So it's more than this. It's more than just purging out our vocabulary of those things that we know to be sinful. And, and, and if I can just quit saying four-letter words after God's name, or if I can quit saying God's name flippantly, well, then I'll be okay. No, it's further than that. Now, the legalist would have you say, no, that's it. That's it. As long as you're not saying uh, God's name in that way, then you're okay. And they would stop there and they would hold this over your head. And if you break it, then they're condemning you. No, you're condemned in your heart. First off, there are many ways to violate this law. For the sake of time, we can't get into an exhaustive list. I know there's more than what we'll go through. But there is a multitude of ways in which men and women violate the third commandment. We'll look at a few. And um, I know we're preaching this text, but there will be some flipping to Scripture because I do want to prove this biblically as we exposit what this means. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Maybe the most obvious violation is to take up or to bear God's name in a way that is worthless. Like you don't mean anything when you're saying it. You're just you're saying God without really meaning anything. There's, there's no meaning behind it. Or maybe you have a wicked or ill intent for vain purpose. Uh, this is to use His name without reason, thoughtlessly, carelessly. Uh, if you... Give titles and honors to, or titles of honor to men. How much more should we give a title of honor to God? And how much more should we reverence His name? Uh, we just saw that the Queen had died, and everybody says Her Majesty the Queen, and you know God said all these high titles of honor and reverence and all these things. If you're at court, you know the judge, Your Honor, walks in. You know, and we give high titles of honor to men. How much more ought we to magnify and be careful with the way that we use God's name? I mean, if someone talked about your mama the way that you talked about God, if if that stirs anger in your heart, then I'll tell you that says a lot about you. If you care more about a person than you do the Lord... It means you're not using His name with reverence. Uh, this God is the sovereign Creator. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Bible teaches us that the, the hearts of the kings are in His hand and He turns them whithersoever He will. He's above those kings. He is above the Queen of England. He's above now the King. He's above the President. He is higher than each and every one of us. He's righteous in all His ways and perfect in His being. Holy, good, just, almighty, omnipresent. He's love. Uh, The list goes on. So of course we should give Him due reverence when we use His name. And it really goes without saying. You would think that's pretty obvious. But now that we have the third commandment here, our excuses are ripped away. We don't have an excuse of ignorance now. Deuteronomy 28 and 58 says that God's name is glorious and fearful. Psalm 83, 18 tells us this, that His name is exclusive, that men may know that Thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the Most High over all the earth. None other is worthy of such reverence and honor. And nothing less than all honor and reverence is suitable to His name. So the first way that we violate this says a lot about our heart. How do you talk about Him? 
how maybe you know someone or you are that person that you hear that they use God's name just to flavor up their sentence. They don't have a big enough vocabulary to say anything intelligible, so they use God's name flippantly to flavor up their conversation, to spice it up a little bit. That's blasphemy. God's name is not a sentence filler. Uh, it's, it's sickening. It's, it's awful. And it's a stench before God. God's name is to be used reverently. And it's a low view of God to use it so irreverently. The heart of the child of God ought to be filled with affection towards his God or towards her God. That means we've got to not speak the way that we used to speak of God. God has begun a work in you, and that work includes causing affection to well up in your heart. I noticed this that the longer. I've been saved, the more the Lord has become lovely. And that's what He does in the life of the child of God, that the longer you are with Him, the more you view yourself as unworthy, and the more you view Him as lovely. Why would we take His name in such a way? People that do this say things such as, Oh God, or Oh Christ, or Thank You Lord, Thank the Lord. And they invoke His name into something, and I mean this this way, there's, there's okay ways to say these things, but saying thank the Lord in ways where you ought not to invoke the name of God. Say your football team wins. Thank the Lord. Say you're speeding down the road and you blow a stop sign and there's a cop sitting there and he wasn't paying attention. Thank the Lord. That's using His name in vain. You're not, using, you're not invoking His name where you ought to. You're using His name very lowly. There's a... In this, there's a lack of that holy awe and reverence for God. Although the brokenhearted may say, Oh God, help me. In all sincerity of heart and not blaspheme. The thankful may say, Oh Christ, thank You for Your work in me. Those who are healed or strengthened or maybe you're just in a, uh, just in a service and you're just so thankful. Thank the Lord for His goodness. Nothing wrong with that. It's, it's not what you're saying. It's, What's in here while you're saying it? In this heart of yours. Bodie Bauckham said it this way, the Decalogue is not about sinning technically. It's about sinning in your heart. This is why we're all guilty. All those things we do to avoid sinning technically show us that we don't understand the holiness of God at all. What do you mean by that? I'll tell you, for instance... People substitute saying Jesus Christ's name and say cheese and crackers. I know that sounds silly, but what are you saying? You're not repenting of the fact that you're using God's name irreverently. You're just trying to get away on a technicality. Or you might say OMG because you don't want to say it, but you'll you'll say it, you'll spell it. You might say my gosh. Or you might say my goodness. You say, well, why is my goodness bad? Who is your goodness? Well, what is contained in God's name? His attributes. And so now you're blaspheming him, or blaspheming him upon his attributes. In all these, you're trying to skip judgment on a technicality rather than repenting of your vain usage. See how it's an issue of the heart. See, see how now it's not just okay. If I can purge my vocabulary of these these four-letter words and these little add-ons, then I'm okay. No, it's it's deeper than that. 
It's deeper than that. It comes from the heart. Secondly, we take God's name in vain when we profess faith outwardly before men, but live in contradiction to that profession. When we have a false profession, we persist in this before men. We put on a good show before man. What did the Pharisees do? They looked good on the outside, but inwardly they were dead men's bones. They tried to follow laws. They even made laws of their own. And they put, they bound up the consciences of the people, but inside they were dead. The hypocrite takes God's name in vain by his false profession. Titus 1, 15 and 16 says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, unto every good work reprobate. Look at the Jews in the days of Christ's earthly ministry in the times of the apostles. Um, the unbelieving Jew was greatly offended at the heart of the law and the heart of the teaching of Christ. and they, they were greatly offended by this stone, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And they lived contrary to God's Word. Uh, they attempted to follow technically they said, okay, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm taking it to the next level. I'm really... They, they strained it in that and swallowed a camel. They attempted to follow, but they were hypocrites and liars. I want to read in Romans chapter 2 real quick about this. Romans chapter number 2. Romans chapter number 2, speaking of this very thing, in verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest His will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast in the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. As is written, for circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. See in this that through their confidence that they were keeping the law, their confidence of their outward checking off boxes, they were living hypocritically, and God says, you've taken my name in vain. See now, it's not just the speaking of His name but it is the way in which we conduct ourselves and live as if we have a profession of faith. Is it genuine or are we living a lie before God and blaspheming His name? They brought men's conscience under bondage, but they were liars. Put forth a show of pretend holiness. Matthew chapter 23, verses 24-33 uh, Christ told them that they were uh, hypocrites. Woe unto you, scribes and hypocrites. Woe unto you, hypocrites, Pharisees. He said all this that they were doing, they were hypocrites. Friend, listen to me, that when 
when the second way that we're looking at that when you take the Lord's name in vain, it is saying that you are something that you're not and you live a lie and you profess His name and you carry His name about and you drag it through the mud of your sin and you give a cause for people to blaspheme God. Think of David when he sinned with Bathsheba. When the prophet came to him, he said, you've given a cause for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. So it's not only just saying His name without meaning. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near Me with their mouth and with their lips, do honor Me, but have removed their heart far from Me, and their fear toward Me is taught by the precept of men. And so what He's saying here is that with their mouth, with their lips, they're close to Me, their heart is removed away because they've left the Word of God and they're teaching the fear of men rather than the fear of God. And God is blasphemed when that happens. The hypocrite's religion is a lie. The lips matter not when the heart is absent. The heart is of the chief importance to true religion. For where your heart is, there your treasure is also. Do you love God? The hypocrite loves himself or a God that he's made up and worships God in any way he pleases with no care for the spiritual precepts. In his worship, he seeks self-gratification rather than God's glory and his praise. The hypocrite takes God's name in vain every time he worships because he boasts and lies. There's a disconnect of 18 inches as Ken said a few sermons ago. From here to here. From the brain to the heart. There's a disconnect. And in this, God's name is taken in vain. And now you see through the second look, it's deeper than just an expression or phrase. Thirdly, God's name is taken in vain when His Word is abused and misused. It truly matters how we approach the Word of God. In the Old Testament, a prophet speaking against, or speaking, yeah, speaking against God's word. In other words, he prophesied. He said, "Thus saith the Lord," and the Lord had not spoken. He was to be put to death. Because when you're speaking on behalf of God and you're lying, you're taking His name in vain. You're a liar. Well, where to mark those people and not listen to them? It's no small matter to play with God's word. That's why we come on the Lord's Day and we there's a, a reverence of, of making sure that we rightly apply and divide the Word of truth. Um, today we have all of what God has chosen to reveal to us. In the Old Testament, in Hebrews it says the Old Testament, God spoke to us in the old days by His prophets and in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. His Son spoke to the apostles. And we have here not everything you could know about God, but we have everything that God has chosen to reveal to us. And this is our final authority. And we're to listen to it. All these 66 books. Avoid those that say, God told me. You ever heard someone say, get up maybe on a TV show or a radio say, well, God told me. What did He tell you? I mean, not speaking to you. You want to hear him speak, you gotta read his word. If you want to hear it audibly, read it out loud, right? But we're not we're not being, you know, we don't have prophets today. We don't have apostles today in that sense. Or they say, I had a dream. I had a dream and God told me this. No. Or I've got a word from you for you from God. 
When they don't open the Bible, they just start blurting out what they believe was God had put upon their heart. I believe it was John Owen said this, if, if revelation that you have, private revelation agrees with Scripture, it's pointless because Scripture already said it. And if it disagrees, then it's a lie. And you see there that the Scripture is what we're to listen to. Such people are to be marked and avoided as liars. They blaspheme God. Jeremiah 23, 23-32. I do want to read this very quickly. Jeremiah 23. The Bible says this, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. I have heard what the prophets said that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams which they tell every man to his neighbor as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock to pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, He saith, Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them, and cause my people to err by their lies, by their likeness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. These lies are of to no use. Do you see how this third way, and if we handle God's Word deceitfully, or irreverently, then we are blaspheming and taking God's name in vain. In one of the epistles to the preacher, Paul said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why? Because God cares about how we handle His word. Fourth, God's name is taken in vain when one lies about or twists Scripture to make it affirm their sin. Look, if you're in our reading plan, we just read this recently. Absalom told David, Hey, hey, Dad, uh, let me pray my, or pay my vow which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. Let me go over there, Dad. Dad, I've, I've, I've done something for the Lord. Just send me over here. What was he doing? He was lying to get out and start a rebellion against his father. What did he use, though? He used the Word of, word of God, supposedly, to affirm his sin. When in reality, he was just lying. He used guys or the guise of doing God's work that he might sin. People do this daily. People twist Scripture to affirm... I've heard people use Scripture to affirm abortion. They twist Numbers, that chapter in Numbers, I believe it's chapter 5. But they twist Scripture to affirm abortion, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, lack of church attendance, etc. These things. They'll take the Scripture and they'll twist it, and that makes God out to be a liar. Or his word to contain certain contradiction. So you better believe this is a direct offense to his name. 
Those who falsely claim Jesus never taught on marriage, or Jesus never said this, or judge not, or you know, those that covet, they'll say, "Well, God tells us to provide for my family, and I just have to, you know, I just have to work a little harder, and I have to do a little more." What they're really doing is they're wanting to amass wealth. They'll use Scripture to twist it. When we come to the Bible, we ought to proceed with holy reverence of the Scriptures. Listen, it. It's not okay to read into the Bible. We read out of the Bible what it says. I'll take, for instance, one one example of this reading into the Scriptures. Those who would get up and every time they read the Bible, they're putting themselves into a story. They're putting themselves as the chief character of every story in the Bible. Don't you think when we read ourselves into the Scripture, oh, this is me, this is about me, oh, this is right here. Don't you think we're taking God's name in vain? I heard uh, Matt Chandler preach a sermon one time. He said, you're not David. He was preaching about David and Goliath and how we're not David and Goliath is not all of our problems. This is a story about Christ and His power and victory. It's not about us. But when we go at the Scriptures this way, we're twisting them. And God's name is taken in vain. Fifth, God's name is taken in vain when we pray without faith. Pray with our lips while thinking in the heart that God doesn't care or He won't listen or He can't help. If we, if we pray this way that we believe, well, God doesn't care, He's not going to listen, He's not going to help, we're acting as if God is a deaf and dumb idol. Like He's just an idol. Like there's nothing He can do. No, when we pray, we ought to pray with faith toward God. I won't read and turn there for sake of time, but Romans 4.13-25, through 25, if you're taking notes, you know, read that when you get home. Such a heart in prayer dishonors the name of God. This is also true of those who are lost. Do you, do you doubt the Scriptures? Do you think yourself hopelessly lost? Um, do you not know that Jesus Christ is the great High Priest and is able to save all them to the uttermost that come to Him by faith? He that believeth on the Son of God hath this witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of His Son. 1 John 5.10 The Christian takes God's name in vain when he prays without trust. The sinner takes God's name in vain in not trusting Christ the Good Savior, the Good Shepherd. Six swearing by God's name. Now, we're trying to speed along through these last few. Swearing by God's name when you don't perform or desire to fulfill the oath. So, this really does get into swearing oaths and those types of things. If you're going to swear and you have no idea or no reason to fulfill it, you don't have a desire to fulfill it, you promise and you break your promise and you promise you break your promise, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, the Bible says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And seventh, this seems painfully obvious, but cursing at God. Talking badly toward God. Obviously, this is taking the Lord's name in vain. Leviticus 24.16 says to let those that do that be put to death. There's never a reason to speak to God or about God in a vile manner, in foul, coarse, harsh language. Uh, to continue, I could mention the offering of children to Moloch. Uh, the, the people offered their children to Moloch. The punishment was to be put to death. 
He said, if you don't, then God's name would be taken in vain because the people would sin against God. So I'm sure you're beginning to see that the heart of this is just deeper than a little bit of vocabulary. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Is bigger than just watching how you talk. It's about what's inside here. There's different ways to take His name in vain. And I hope we all see that we're all guilty. The heart of the issue is the issue of the human heart. Like the rest, where the negative is implied, the obvious or the positive is implied. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt hallowed the name of the Lord. What did Christ pray first when He gave us the instruction on how to pray? Hallowed be Thy name. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. The very first thing He prayed, Lord, let Your name be holy. Let Your name be reverenced. Let Your name be holy and risen up above all names. Hallowed be Thy name. And that's still implied, or still the cause today. So we should take great cause, great care, great reverence, or great, great uh, reverence with the Lord's name. Just why? Why? I promise the rest of this is a little bit quicker, but I did want to get through those things and prove them biblically. It's one thing to be prohibited from a thing; it's another thing to know why. If we don't know why, then maybe you'll be saying, "Okay." I'll just check this off and then it's still there's an issue with the heart there. What's going on? So, this leads us to the why of the prohibition. To begin this subheading, I'll begin with a personal example. Uh, when Emily and I were, we found out we were having a baby. It was our first baby. It was Maddie. You know, we were tickled to death. What was the first thing we started thinking? We started thinking about a name. We had names. What did we want to name him? I said, Emily, if we have a boy, I want to name him Etzel after my papa. Why? There was a meaning behind that name. I said, but if we have a girl, name him, or no, if it's a boy, it's Matthew, and if it's a girl, it's Maddie. That's what it was. The second one was that one. She said, why do you want to name our daughter Maddie? I said, well, I told my dad when I was a little kid that I was going to name my first child after him. He said, well, what do you do if you have a girl? I said, well, I'll just name her Maddie. And it was a little funny thing, but it had meaning to us. So her name had meaning. Well, what was her middle name? Celeste. We had to think of a middle name. Why did I pick Celeste? Well, it's the same middle name as her mother and her grandmother. So it's three generations of Celeste. There's, there's meaning to that. There's meaning to names. Why do We don't just name people just random things. There's meaning behind them. And now when I hear this name Maddie, my, I don't think about you know, a few letters on a page. I think of her person. Who she is. Just as it was in the Old Testament that when a name was given to someone, it had meaning. Even probably more so than today. There are those that will just name people random things like you just don't understand why, but especially in the Old Testament, every single name that you're looking at, there's some kind of meaning there. There's a reason for that name. And so, why is this important? Names have importance. God's name means something. God's name is important there's a purpose for his name and and when we see his name it's not just if you're saved it's not just letters on a page but it's his character it's his it's it's inseparable from his person inseparable from his works inseparable from his being and his purposes and who he is and so his name to take his name in vain is to take him in vain I don't, you know, 
we've all heard of names. You, ever, you might even hear someone say you have the patience of Job. Hopefully you've never heard that you're a Jezebel. But you know, people have names. They carry with them some kind of meaning. When Moses asked God who he should tell the people that sent him, what did he say? Tell them, I am has sent me unto you. He pointed to his covenantal name, Jehovah, Yahweh. The self-existent one. I am. Jehovah, meaning self-existent. The sovereign, self-existent one who's creator and ruler over all things. God is that He is. He has no beginning. He'll have no ending. This name belongs to Him and Him alone. Uh, Not only this, but it is His name that He uses to reveal Himself to Moses. To reveal His glory to Him. Listen, when Moses asked to see Him, He replies, I will make My goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. If we want to see His glory, we need to know His name. If we know His name, we know who He is. We see God's glory when we see His name. You can see that in Exodus 34, verses 6-8. through Listen to this. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children upon the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Do you see it? His name is who He is. His name is who He is. His name carries with it something. My wife, Emily, it's no longer just five letters on a page. When I think of Emily, I think of my helpmate, my friend, bride, the mother to my children. There's a wealth of emotion and affection and things that well up. Why not so much more for God? If you know Him, when you hear Yahweh, and when you hear Jesus Christ, when you hear God, or Holy Spirit, when you hear God, your mind starts going towards who He is. It's more than just a name. And so that's why it's so important that we not take His name in vain, because it is who He is. His name carries with it all of this. God is divine, sovereign, supreme, immutable or unchanging, holy, almighty, faithful, good, love, just, the most high, self-existent, eternal, omnipresent, all-knowing, righteous, King of kings, Lord of lords, the Good Shepherd, the Bread of Life, the Water of Life, the Great Sheep, the Lamb of God. That's in His name. That's in His name. Why then do we not take it in vain? Because that's what you're blaspheming. This is God. All work, And not only that, I'll go a step further, that He is one God, one in being, three in person. We believe in the Holy Trinity. 
We're dogmatic on this. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equally God. All work together in union for common things, yet three distinct persons. This is God. This is the God of the Bible. This is what His name carries. Look very briefly at these. Psalm 29.2 says this, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 8.1 says this. I should have wrote these down, but Psalm 8.1 says this, O Lord, our Lord, O Yahweh, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth, Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Philippians 2 and verse 10 and 11. says this right here. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Knowing the why makes the what painfully obvious, right? Now it's not just a simple prohibition. We see the prohibition stated. Lastly, we'll look at this. Um, the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. There is the prohibition stated. Finally, there is the penalty warned. The warning of the penalty is not an empty warning. This is not God just saying something lightly. What God says He means and what God means He fulfills. And right here he says that for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And as I read this, my heart is humbled and convicted. Why? I've taken his name in vain. It goes against his character to let sin slide by. It isn't compatible with his righteousness, with his justice, with his character, with his holiness to overlook sin. And so when I read these things that I ought not be doing and I see that I am doing them, and then I see this, the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Why should He? He graciously created them. Gave them of His earth to live in, to populate, to take advantage of His blessing. The Bible says the soul that sins should die. And in the day of judgment, God shall cast the sinner from the, before Him into the lake of fire where God will set forth the full wrath and strikes of justice for all eternity. That's where this is fulfilled. To the lost. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10.31 Psalm 130 and verse 3 If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Sinner, think not that you shall avoid this or escape this condemnation for your sin through your you sin through your works, your efforts, everything that you do. Taking a few words out of your vocabulary won't somehow suddenly make you right and acceptable before God when you've broken His law and God has promised not to hold Him guiltless who takes His name in vain. So there's no hope in this law in in tweaking a few things. Maybe you'll fix a few things in your life and maybe I'll try a little harder. I'll work a little harder. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps. No, God will not hold you guiltless. Does this not prick your heart? We view ourselves in the mirror of God's law. 
That's what we deserve. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus never once sinned. We talked about Him being the great high priest today. Friend, listen. When Jesus came to the earth, He was born in the flesh. He lived a sinless life, meaning He didn't sin. So He wasn't guilty of death. He wasn't guilty of condemnation. He never sinned. He lived sinlessly. He performed all those things required by the law. And He was in all ways obedient unto the Father, even unto death. Never had a vile thought. Never sinned. Never cursed God. Never read the Word lightly. And yet on Calvary's cross, God the Father poured out His wrath upon His Son. The Bible says, for it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He hath borne our grief. He's borne our iniquity. Upon the cross of Calvary, God the Son, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, died for sin, but that was not His own. It was ours. All those that come to Him by faith. And in that, you see it? God is just and justifier of those that come to Him by faith. God's justice was not sacrificed. God's justice was not contradicted in this. No, this is the very justice of God. I deserve death in that day some 2,000 years ago when God poured out His wrath upon His Son. That was in my stead. God didn't lie about this. Sinner, flee to God today. He is, he is our hope. He is our hope in life and death. And if you're His, glorify His great name because you deserve to die. God won't hold Him guiltless and thanks be to God in Christ. Now He can. Now He will. That's how God's justice is never violated. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. There's the prohibition stated. We considered what it meant and why he said it. There's the penalty warned. By application, I say flee to Christ, trust in him, rest in Christ, rest in his finished work at Calvary. And to those who are saved, remember what he has done. And don't use His name in vain. Don't take it lightly. Don't act as if you and Him are on the same level. He's far above us. He's far above us. Yet at the same time, in a measure of condescension and love, He condescended to men of low estate. Don't think you're on His level. Don't talk of Him as you would your friend. He's the Most High God. 